Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg. On this week's episode, we are joined by the managing director of the San Diego Open, the ATP 250 event, which is wrapping up today as we record on Sunday. Danny Valverde is here. Danny, thank you for being on the show. Hi, Ben. Thank you. Um, yeah, uh, it's been a great week, actually. Uh, super excited about how everything has, uh, how everything has gone and, and now looking forward to having a great final. So what was the sort of origin of this event? There's been a lot of shifting on the calendar in the last two years, obviously, because of the pandemic. More exciting part of that, I guess, is obviously it's sad when events can't happen, but there's been chances for cities that haven't had tournaments before, or at least in years, to sort of get back on the tennis map. So can you sort of talk through how the San Diego Open came to be in existence in this part of the calendar? So yeah, I mean, first of all, I, I agree with you. I think this one-year licenses that the, the ATP has been and the WTA have been handing out, handing, handing out to, uh, to a few cities. I think they're fantastic for tennis. It's a bit of an experiment to see which other markets we could explore. Uh, and it's gone very well. Uh, for us, when, when the Asian swing canceled, I knew that the ATP would be looking for new opportunities and, 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 and jobs for the guys. I mean, the, the full swing got canceled, so that was three weeks of events. So they, they needed to make up uh, something for those for those three weeks and create job opportunities for the guys. So I, I knew a group here in San Diego that had been wanting for a while to, to have an event. They have never had an ATP in San Diego ever, uh, which is mm. very surprising considering um, how big tennis is here and, and obviously how beautiful the city is. So I, I thought about it and said, look, I'm going to give them a call and, and, uh, and tell them that there might be an opportunity and whether they want to send a proposal. When I reached out to them, they said, okay, you're talking about next year, right? And I was like, no, no it's in six weeks' time. <laughs> they, were, they were shocked at first, but uh, but then, yeah, it didn't take long for them to to turn around and, and actually, uh, yeah, put the proposal forward. And, and luckily, the, the ATP approved it and, and we were able to deliver a, a very nice event. That's awesome. Because, I mean, so much of, as you know, so much of the success of a tournament on the calendar is about where it fits in in timing and geography. And this is perfect week to be in San Diego being the week before Indian Wells. I mean, I guess even if it is, you know, sort of last minute preparations, yeah. you still got an incredible field and still got good crowds and everything. It seemed like everything came together, at least from, you know, 3000 miles away, everything yeah. looks, looks pretty, pretty smooth there in terms of the final product at least, but how, but what did it take to get there? I guess. Yeah. So from my side, when, when I looked at the weeks that might that could be available, I obviously started thinking about locations where it could be possible to deliver a good event. And obviously, being being so close to Indian Wells, I told them, "Look, I cannot guarantee you which players will will show up, but from experience, um, I can tell you that we will have a very good playing field." And I said, "Look, if if long term your goal is to hopefully have a permanent." permanent event in San Diego, which is the goal from the group here, uh, I think it's a, it's a step in step in the door. And and, and I think if we deliver a good event, um, it will put San Diego in the map, especially from the player side. I think they love it. Uh, so it's worth the risk. I know with six weeks to go to find sponsorship and, and also there's a lot of uncertainty uh, with ticket sales because you don't have time to promote it. And you've never had an event in San Diego before, so you don't know how it's going to do. I said there is, there is risk involved, uh, but looking at the time in the calendar and the fact that San Diego hasn't had any ATP events, I think there will be a lot of appetite for, for the area to, to come and watch tennis. So yeah, I agree. I think from, from my side, it just made sense to, to reach out to San Diego, obviously being a week before Indian Wells, it's perfect. And, 
and that would be the perfect week moving forward. Uh, I'm going to say it's unlikely that, that the tournament will get this week moving forward, but I think it's, it showcased um, the the right approach towards the event from the player side and from the fan side. I mean, we were sold out pretty much from the first day for, for all of the night sessions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had over a thousand people come in just for qualifying uh, each day and we've been sold out the whole weekend. So from the, from the fan side, I think it's been a success and, and I've had Raven reviews from, from the guys as well. So no, it's, it's turned out really well. Uh, obviously the week in the calendar is extremely helpful. Uh, and obviously a city like San Diego always helps being by the water with, with perfect weather. So it was a kind of the perfect storm and, and I'm, I'm thrilled. Yeah, good. You should be. Yeah. I had a friend who went there, who lived in San Diego, went there yesterday actually for the semifinals and he had a great time. Curious, I guess, in terms of these one year licenses, can you explain a bit more about how that works? It's pretty unusual, I guess, for mm-hmm. the tour to sort of allow people to sort of rent almost rather than like own to buy like a full-time sanction for a tour stop. Mm-hmm. Um, which are which can be pretty uh, scarce or hard to come by. So can you talk about yeah this one and how the the one year licenses and how those sort of have changed the landscape on both tours ATP and WTA? So I think the one year licenses license they will stop at some point once the pandemic uh, gets better and the world goes back to some sort of normality. Like I said, I think they have been great for the tour. I think it's tested some markets and whether in the future uh, they should look into uh, entering those markets, especially in the U.S. The U.S. has lost so many events in the last 10, 15 years that I think it's important to bring some of them back. Uh, obviously, um, the the players in, inside the U.S., especially on, on the men's side, their ranking hasn't been as good as as it's, as the Americans are are used to having so that yeah. doesn't help but i do believe and I'm a, I'm a strong believer that the more events you have in your country uh the better tennis will get eventually Fra- uh, italy is a perfect example of that and i think the, the the u.s should take the same approach so talking about the one-year licenses is basically a lease uh event just for one year that a deal that you do with the atp it's a very lenient deal because it helps both sides the atp is looking for events and obviously because you have such a short time to to organize the event it's it's a very appealing deal from both sides. Uh, moving forward, uh, to get to keep the event permanently is not easy because, like you said, it's a scarce asset, and actually the ATP is trying to shrink the calendar and not create more licenses. So from the ATP, yeah. uh, for us, they will not create new licenses for us to purchase. So we will have to go to a current member and either buy it off them or lease their week. Uh, so that will be uh, our approach if we want to have this, this event permanently, which is the goal from from everyone here in San Diego. I would love to see some sort of one year program last or, you know, some more short term, more flexible, more nimble approach possible in the future, because there's so many things, you know, in tennis where it'd be great to be able to capitalize on shorter term things. Obviously, the pandemic, huge world changing event that's disrupted everything in the world of sports and the world everywhere. But, you know, having something like, oh, let's say suddenly, you know, Tsitsipas, you know, is a, is a top player in the world suddenly. Wouldn't it be great if they could, if Athens, you know, or some other yeah. city in Greece could suddenly just put an event there for a year just to start to capitalize on that momentum or someone, you know, wins a slam, you know, like Iga Świątek wins a slam from Poland, put a yeah. WTA tournament in her hometown the next year or something like that. You know, that sort of stuff, I think, would be really successful. But it's just, but tennis is so rigid in how the tour is set up that I just it's not really designed to sort of... Uh, to be able to, to move on those sorts of things. But it'd yeah, be nice to see if that could have last long-term, some sort of more flexible sort of wild card sanctions almost. I, I agree. I mean, I think especially in those 
scenarios that you just mentioned, uh, it would be great to explore those markets and and to go into those countries that obviously are starting to boom uh, when you have a big things. The problem, at least on the on the ATP side, which I understand better than the WTA side, is that the the calendar it's packed as it is. So yeah. you you can add events. Already we have the maximum limit of events per week. So the one-year licenses work when an event drops out for whatever reason, and then a week opens up, and then you can add the one-year license. Uh, if, let's say in 2022, all the events go ahead, there is no, there is no space for the one-year licenses. So that that's that's where the problem from the ATP comes. Like each week, it's already a minimum of two events and a maximum of three events, and they're all packed. Uh, so... So you cannot add it unless a tournament drops out. Yeah. People who don't know, you've been involved in, you know, player council stuff and, and other sort of decisions about things and shapes of the tour and strategy for that for a long time. So you're not new to this conversation. People who maybe just know you as a, as a coach, you've been involved in this sort of backroom discussions. And I'm curious about one sort of, you mentioned it too, with having more tournaments in the U.S. In the U.S. was sort of where a lot of professional tennis started. Certainly women, the women's tour, when it first started, was almost all in the U.S., um, Men's tour was a lot more in the U.S. than it is now, for sure, and both of them are um, were much more in the U.S. than before. And I'm wondering what you think about the sort of general strategy that's been the trend over the last 15 years or so in tennis of shifting so much more to newer markets in terms of bigger tournaments. Um, we see this especially in the WTA, how much they've put into China um, and having their tour championships in China. And all the men had the tour championships in, in Shanghai for years too, so they also did that for a bit. What do you think about that sort of balance between going to new markets and getting new fans and new sponsors and new money over there versus, you know, keeping it in sort of the traditional homes of tennis. There's been a lot of places like, I mean, San Diego, he says new to the ATP tour, but certainly California is not. And California hadn't had any tournaments. It's a big place, 50 million people or something had only had Indian Wells, which is a big tournament, but only one tournament uh, yeah. for a long time on the ATP after losing Los Angeles, losing San Jose and a few others before that. What do you think about sort of should the tours be looking to shift more towards traditional tennis markets, whether it's U.S., whether it's Germany, whether it's other sorts of places that you know have big existing tennis structures or and fan bases and interests there, or do you think mm -hmm. it should could, should keep keep going into new places in Asia, Middle East, places like that? I think there has to be a healthy balance. Uh, I think going into new markets is very important. Obviously, the world. The way the world is is evolving and and being such a worldwide sport, I think going into new markets not only benefits the tour financially, but I think long term it benefits the players uh, becoming more of a worldwide brand. Uh, so I think it is important to enter new markets, but at the same time, I do believe you have to enhance the product, and and you can only enhance the product by also focusing on your traditional markets. I mean, those are the ones that are going to give some consistency to the product and the ones that will make it more sustainable. I think entering new markets, there is always uncertainty on how, how sustainable it is to enter that market. I think it's worth some of some of the uncertainty and, and some of the risk. But I would like to see the ATP and the WTA enhance the premium product in the traditional markets. I, I would like to see more events in the US. Um, I think you will get more consistency in delivering the, the right product for, for both tours and also in Europe. So I, I, I don't want to see it uh, going away from the traditional markets, I would like to actually enhance the traditional markets and support them. And at the same time, enter 
enter new markets because I do believe there is benefit from that. But I think there has to be a healthy balance and, and we cannot forget about the traditional markets. If anything, we should enhance them even more. What is sort of going back to the sort of managing the tournament side of things? What does it take to put on a tennis tournament in six weeks? How do you where do you start? How does this how do you what do you have to get going in order to make this event possible? So obviously, first, you need the approval from the tour to to get to get to have the approval. Uh, So you create a proposal, you send it to the tour, uh, you do a presentation and then uh, hopefully get it approved by them and give you the week and the right to run the event. And then it comes down to finances. Obviously, with the one year licenses is, is a big challenge because for the first two, three weeks, it's all costs. There's no ticket yeah. sales. There's no sponsorship. Uh, so there's huge uncertainty and and, and major costs involved uh, to run the operations. Especially at the beginning, you're having to hire your production company, uh, your your setup, your bleachers. I mean, you're, those costs are huge. I mean, they're, they're probably 60 to 70% of the cost uh, to run the event. So mm. you're having to write big checks and sign and sign contracts that are yeah involve major financial contributions without having any revenues at the time. So I would say that's, that's the biggest challenge, especially for us only having six weeks. I think when you have 12 months to deliver the event, you can focus on, on sponsorships first, and then you have a good cushion behind you to then go into, into uh, running the operation side of things. Yeah. So obviously setting up the site for us, we're, we're running the event at a public facility. So we had to pretty much start from scratch. Uh, that was a, a major production and, and a big cost, then you have to hire a production company to run the broadcast on site that then sends the, the broadcast to, to London and then gets sent to all the broadcasters. So that's a big expense. And then all the costs involved on the player side, which is hotels, transportation, meals, practice balls. Um, that's also a major expense. So there, there's a lot to it. I think when you have a full year to prepare, you're a bit more relaxed and it's more doable. But for us, it was a lot. The first few weeks, we had a small team. We didn't really have a setup. Uh, nobody had done uh, an ATP or a WTA event from our team. So it was stressful. But I yeah. think everyone did a fantastic job and, and it turned out more than well. I mean, luckily, ticket sales were fantastic throughout the whole week. And and we had a lot of support lo- locally. Uh, the city was extremely supportive and, and there was a lot of private sponsorship involved with the event and, and, and they uh, showed a lot of support. So financially, it was a success. Um, our goal was just to deliver a great event for the fans and the players and hopefully uh, then get a chance to have it permanently. So we were able to to break even, which was our number one goal. Wow. So I think with six weeks, with the 250 model, I think that's been a major success for us. Yeah, breaking even is very impressive for a yeah. that to get put together. That, that's that's very that's very impressive indeed. You mentioned the 250 model. This is something I guess people talk about a lot in sort of the backroom conversations about how tough it is for those tournaments financially to be viable to make that even to break even is a big accomplishment for a 250 a lot of times just with the sort of economics stacked against them sometimes uh, and, and being in tough places on the calendar can you i guess speak a little bit more to that like what makes it tough for tournaments on that rung that are you know not the slams not the masters 1000 the 500s or then obviously then the 250s mm-hmm. what makes it tough and, and it used to be called internationals on the women's side and now 250 also there what makes it tough uh, for a tournament there to be maybe a lot of things you already outlined, but what makes it especially tough at the 250 level to be a, a business success? Because it's something that a lot of tournaments struggle with at that level. Yeah, I think we go back to your last question about uh, going to, to new markets or, or staying in the traditional markets. I think the 250 model works in the traditional markets. I think you can turn 
is not a huge profit, but you can turn a profit and make it sustainable. Hmm. 50 model in new markets, uh, small markets, they have to be looked at differently. I think if the city wants to use the event to promote sports and to promote tennis, and, and it's more of a marketing tool for the city or, or, or the government, I think it's, it's very good if they look at it that way. But if you look at it as a business, uh, the 250 model only works in, in big tennis market, in traditional tennis markets like San Diego, Chicago. Like for us, having a, a, a permanent 250, it makes sense financially. It makes sense as a business. But if you told me, look, Danny, you can have a license and run it, I don't know, in the Middle East or uh, in a small city in the US, I would say, I'm not sure I'm doing that. Uh, if you give me a 250 license in a big city, in a big market, it works. So I think that's where the tour has to make a decision. How do we find that balance where we're hosting 250 events in small markets where it's just a marketing tool for, for the city or for the government, uh, but we're not delivering a consistent product. Uh, so I think that's, that's a decision the tour has to make and how they find that balance. Uh, in the big markets like California, San Diego, Chicago, Northeast, uh, Florida, yeah. I think, I think this, the 250 model makes a lot of sense. Uh, not only to promote tennis, but but as a business. I mean, it's not a big business, but it's a healthy, sustainable business. But in the small markets, I I wouldn't take a two fifty. It's, t- it's tough to grow. I guess something like if you bring a two fifty to a place with existing tennis fans, mm-hmm. which certainly San Diego has, which certainly Chicago has. You know, mm-hmm. uh, those even if those are new cities, the tour Cleveland also has a new one this year on the women's yeah. side. Yeah, then yeah, but it's tough to build something or, or introduce people to tennis that way. Maybe introduce players to those sorts of places. Um, yeah, yeah in, a, in a smaller market, if something's kind of more on its own, uh, that makes sense. Uh, you wind up having one of the strongest 250 fields of the year in terms of player entry list, uh, one of the strongest ever. I mean, it was amazing to see a 250 with a like a quarterfinal between Rublev and Schwartzman. It was like a crazy 250 yeah. quarterfinal. I guess 90, I'm guessing like at least 90% of that is due to the spot, the geography and the spot on the calendar and everything. And yeah. But I guess what else did you do to try to get players interested or was it? really just that automatic like it was such a logical tournament for people to to want to enter after they're staying in the u.s maybe after the u.s open or after labor cup and it was a perfect tournament for them there i think i think the week like the week in the calendar had i think it, not not all to do with it but mo- most of it yeah i think the week in yep. the calendar was perfect right before in the wells you had a lot of top players playing the labor cup it didn't make sense for them to go back to europe after the labor cup so it made sense to come here it was a 28 draw so a few of the top guys had a buy, so they could start later in the week. So it kind of fit perfectly for the top guys that came from Labor Cup and for the other players that had to make a decision: Am I playing in Europe or am I coming straight to the US to then go straight to to then go to Indian Wells? So I think it had a lot to do with the week. Part of my job was was to reach out to players and and convince them to come. There was a few of them that were in between Europe and here, and and uh, yeah, and my job was to to try and get them to to sign up and play the event. Yeah. But again, I think most of it came down to the week. It's unrealistic to, if the event, if we manage to keep the event here permanently at some point, it's unrealistic to expect to have this sort of field moving forward. But I do believe that San Diego will have a consistent field. Uh, or one year is better than others, but it will always be a good field, I think, uh, especially after having a lot of players come and experience it this year, we're going to have a lot of players in the future wanting to come to San Diego and, and wanting to be here. Uh, so that's, that's a major plus that we already, if we hadn't had this event and we were just starting, let's say next year, there will be a question mark because players wouldn't know about San Diego, but now the players know about San Diego. I think that's a major plus for us. Yeah. But I, it's unrealistic to expect uh, a field this strong, but I think it will be a strong field regardless of the week in the calendar. You mentioned Asking, talking to some players, whatever, and one of them, the least surprising news in this tournament was that Andy Murray got a wild card 
knowing obviously your history with him and everything, what was what is sort of just on that specific choice? Like, what do you see in sort of him and his at the stage of his uh, career? Was it like obviously he's probably still the biggest star at that tournament in a lot of ways and the biggest recognition, even if he is still outside top hundred. Yeah, what, what was it like having him at this event? And what do you what did you um, see from him up close again? Uh, for I mean, for as a tournament for us, it's I mean, it's a gift to have someone like him around, and not only to watch him play, but just to promote the event, uh, it doesn't ha- it doesn't get better than having a multiple slam champion uh, X number one, and someone like Andy that has had such an impact in in the game the last yeah ten years. Uh, so it's been great for me personally to see him around competing after everything that he's been through. It's emotional. I uh, yeah I, I get I get very emotional when I watch him play and and it makes me very happy to see him around. I think uh, he's worked extremely hard to give himself a chance to be competitive against these guys to to watch him be on the court without any major uh, physical problems. I'm sure there are some niggles here and there which is normal, but compared to what he's been through the last few years, um it's definitely an achievement already to to be able to compete with them. Uh I think there is room for him to improve which is the encouraging part. I think he's still not playing his best. I think the more he competes the better he will get. He's already playing competitive matches against top 10, top 15 players in the world. He mm-hmm. had a fantastic match with with Stefanos at the Open. Uh, so I think it's encouraging. And and yeah, like I said, personally, it's, it's emotional, but I couldn't be happier for him. I want him I want him to go out there, feel competitive, win some big matches. I think his game will get better. If the body holds up, I think he, he's only going to get better. So it's, yeah, for the tournament, it was, yeah, a gift. And, and for me personally, it's, yeah, it's a pleasure. And like I said, emotional to watch him on court again. Very cool. Uh, there's still obviously the pandemic going on there's still restrictions or considerations at least that are being made for that at all sorts of events I know Indian Wells is requiring vaccination proof for all uh, mm-hmm. attendees I'm not sure actually what your event was doing for that and I also think Indian Wells maybe had a rule saying no children or something now no children under 12 in attendance which is t- which is obviously unusual for a sporting event to have that sort of rule and it's frustrating for you know families I'm sure who wanted to go and bring their kids to see tennis because kids are a big part of tennis tournaments usually Mm-hmm. But yeah, but what what were the sort of considerations in in San Diego for pandemic safety? For ATP rules, we have to follow local restrictions. So, from from our side, uh, because of the size of the event and the capacity, we were not, I would say, obliged to force people to be vaccinated to come to come and play to come and watch the event. So there, oh, because there was, you're smaller than Indian Wells. Yeah, hmm. uh, okay. and and here, and here in San Diego, for our our size of event, uh, they didn't require to show proof of vaccination. So you could come and watch watch attendance without having to show proof of vaccination. Obviously, Indian Wells took that decision. I don't know if that's what the local authorities are requesting or if it was a decision from the tournament. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know which direction they they took it. Uh, but from our side, fans could come without without proof of vaccination. Okay. What do you, what are the sort of next steps? I guess to see. Obviously, you have the final. You're about to do this lovely dolphin trophy. You're going to give to yeah. one of these players either either. Uh, Cameron Nori or Casper Rude in a couple hours. But what what I guess you do after this event ends to sort of look back on it, and I guess what will you sort of feel when this event ends after, after everything you've uh, accomplished with it? Relief, to be honest, because from my side, obviously, I put my name to the event from from the players' side and from the ATP side. So I'm I'm so close to not only the ATP but but to the players that I wanted to make sure. I didn't disappoint them. Uh, so I think it's gone really well. We have one day to go. So I want to end it on on the on a right on the right on the right note. Uh, so I'm I mean I'm very happy to be honest. There was a lot of uncertainty, like I told you at the beginning, uh, but how the week has developed and, and obviously already 
been just one one match away from ending the tournament, uh, gone the way it's it's gone. Uh, I'm very happy, but I will be relieved that I that I didn't mess it up for the guys and and that they're happy. Oh well, very. It doesn't seem like you messed it up at all. Congratulations yeah. on this event, Danny. Thank you for taking time in a very busy week for you uh, to be on here, and uh, good luck with the finals. Thank you, Ben. We'll keep in touch. So thank you very much to Danny Valverde for being on NCR today, and thank you to all of you for listening. If you want to follow along the show and you're not listening, you can do so by following us on Twitter at NCR underscore tennis. I'm individually on Twitter at Ben Rothenberg. Courtney, who's on this show, she's on there for you to twits. As you all know, get in while she's not locked. I want to thank all of you for supporting the show, especially also on Patreon, uh, which keeps the show going and keeps it ad-free all these years. We're in our 10th season, which is nuts. Thank you to all of you. We want to thank one new backer, or not a new backer, but one backer who elevated her her status in the sort of backing sphere uh, on Patreon since our last episode, who is Bridget Robinson. So thank you to Bridget. If you want to follow in Bridget's footsteps and join on or strengthen your backing, uh, we'd love to have you do that. No, Patreon.com slash no challenges remaining is how you do that. This is our first episode of the month of October. So we want to thank all our on-tour backers we thank on the first show of every month. And they are... Matt Mitchell, Rachmir E, Kristen Webb, Greg Rails, Olivia Haynes, Jeff Augustin, Deepa Mokshagundam, Ido Pollock, Nick, Mallory Muppis Couture, Laura Vergani, Aluko Hope, David Ebershoff, Ken Solomon, Kathleen Sharkey, Stephen Tidings, Danielle Hartzell, Horatio Silva, Joseph Har, Reginald Bazile, Misa Miyagawa, Annie Kim, JB Wogan, Jillian Dobson, Andrew, the Body Surf Podcast, Andrew Eccles, Ninja Steph, Joy Katz, Greer Millard, Bridget Robinson, there she is again, Ava Marshalkova, John Fisher, Harish, Elise Panich, Kate S., Jeremy Blackstock, Dermot Harkin, and Lori Porter. Thank you to all of them. And thank you to our Slam Champ backers who thank every episode, Susanna W., Mary Carrillo, Sean Mulroy, Leah Williams, Liz Kendall, Jonathan Weinbaum, John Simeon, James Hindle, Antonio Maycumber, Anna Valinder, Timothy Liu, and Ashley Keel, and our GOAT backers, Nicole Copeland, Pam Shriver, and J-O-D. Again, if you want to join on with them, patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. We'll try to do some content during Indian Wells coming up soon. Uh, I won't be there. I'm not sure if Courtney will be there, actually. I should know this. Anyway, there'll be a lot of tennis players there. Hopefully it's a good tournament, and we'll see you later. Bye!